In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Easter Day is a fading memory, and the clearance rack of Easter candy is almost empty, but the Gospels have more to say about that day, the first day of the week, and of so much more as well. Luke's narrative leaves the geographical center of his story. It began in the temple in Jerusalem, and when it ends after the ascension, the apostles will go back to the temple, Jesus goes to the temple twice by the time he's 12, and half of the gospel is a journey to Jerusalem. Luke is all about Jerusalem, but we meet the risen Lord out in the country in a far less significant place. And if the setting is off-center, so are the two people involved in this encounter. Luke's gospel and the second volume, the Acts, pay careful attention to the twelve, but they're not part of the story until the very end. It's Easter Day, and we're not in Jerusalem, and the eleven are only part of this account at the end. Easter isn't confined to the holy city, and its implication reaches far beyond the twelve. It's not just the twelve, it's not just Jerusalem. It can be here, it can be you. The risen Lord finds these two walking back to their village after all that had happened. And when he joins them on the road, they are not able to recognize him. They didn't realize what they didn't know. Instead, they assumed that this stranger was the uninformed one. Are you the only one who doesn't know? He did know. And more than that, he knew them. He knew their sorrow, their lost hopes, and the joy they were about to discover. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him, so he started working with them on Bible study. It does go back to that. For all the ways in which that book might have been misused over the centuries for the times that we have found some shred of a verse that reinforced our worst instincts, for all the times it's been misused, Scripture still opens for us an encounter with the God who created this world, and it bears witness to Jesus. He opened their minds, Luke says, and reading Scripture is a process of letting our reaction to the text open and widen our understanding of God, of the world around us, and of ourselves. Because it gives witness to the power of God to raise up Jesus and the infinite grace of the risen Lord who returns and returns to those who abandoned and denied him, Scripture teaches us to hope. And hope allows us to love. It grounds our lives in faith that God is at work. It is what those two pilgrims needed that Sunday afternoon. It's what we need. Find some pattern or habit that allows you to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest, as the Collect says, so that Scripture becomes the open space where we can know God and know ourselves. Something of what Jesus showed those two in Scripture gave them hope, and that hope was enough to inspire hospitality to the stranger who seemed at first to know so little but who had opened their minds and kindled hope in their hearts. 
it will do no less for our hearts and our minds as well. What happens next is one of those moments in Scripture that points backwards and forwards all at once. First, an echo of the Last Supper where Jesus takes bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them. It is an echo of the feeding of the 5,000 where he carries out the same actions. It points forward into the life of the church when this action becomes the central act of worship on every Lord's Day. And how many parables did Jesus tell us that feature a table laden with food and surrounded by guests? The revelation will point to the consummation of all things at the wedding feast of the Lamb. There's not one of those meals that isn't echoed at that table in Emmaus, and it all echoes here in this moment. This is what happened when the risen Lord went in with Cleopas and his companion. They had listened to him, they had questioned him, they had warmly welcomed him into their homes and to their table, but they still didn't know him. Finally, at the table, as bread was taken, blessed, broken, and given, their eyes were opened, and that meal became the first meal of a whole new world. The friend they had seen die, whose burial they had watched, now offered them food. If God was at work, even past the worst that injustice and violence could do, if the weight of sin, committed and wrong, left unopposed, if all of that could not hold Jesus back in death, then this world is a very different place than it sometimes seems to be. Their eyes were opened, and they knew. Jesus' resurrection left the tomb empty, but more than that, it filled a place at the table where we met him. The tomb is empty, but the world is full of possibility of grace and hope, their eyes were open, and they knew. I said this is a passage that echoes backwards and forwards. That phrase, their eyes were open, might remind you of another one from the first Sunday in Lent, in the third chapter in Genesis. It is how the first meal of our disobedience was described. The first meal of a world turned against God and into a place of sin and struggle. When Adam and Eve, our first parents, grasped at what they were told to leave alone, when they ate what had not been given to them, then the whole sad story ensues. They ate, their eyes were open, and they knew they were naked, and they began the journey out of Eden and towards death. These two, on the very day when the world was being made new, just hours after the resurrection of Christ that broke open the power of death, they took and ate, and their eyes were opened as Jesus gave them bread for their journey, a journey towards life rather than death, a journey marked by abundance, not struggle and scarcity, by blessing and not curse. The whole world has changed, changed as surely as when we were sent out of Eden, changed now to hope and life. Their eyes were opened and they knew. What they recognize is Jesus, and in him, the whole creation being raised up and made new. He had known them who, for who they were from the moment he encountered them on the road, 
and now, but by his grace, they know him. He had seen them. Now their eyes open, and they see him. Whatever disappointed hopes we might bring, amid all the evidence that hate and death overwhelm all good things, we have the witness of Scripture that God created this world to be good, that in Christ the world's weight of sin and death have been picked up and carried away. The Spirit, the giver of life, still breathes life into us. Baptized into his death and resurrection, we are brought to this table where bread is taken, blessed, broken, and given, and our eyes open to see Christ among us, a whole new creation. A stranger meets us on the road, and though he seems not to know how things really are, he knows us. And in the words of Scripture, he teaches us how things really are and how they will be in God's kingdom. Here, bread and wine offered to God's purposes are returned to us as the food and drink of a new creation that we can taste now. Emmaus, or some other place, Cleopas, or some other not-so-well-known disciple, this is where Christ meets us. And in him, we find a new creation, a new hope, and a new life. Amen.